0: actually from, yeah, Philippians 3, 1 to 16. <laughs> Righteousness through faith in Christ. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. Under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you.
1: Through what we
2: Morning guys. I can see we're all um a little little tired maybe. <laughs> uh but um yeah. I'm really I don't know. I'm just so happy to be here with you guys. Uh it's been a really amazing weekend. Um and I'm just excited to share God's word with you before we depart. Um so let me pray before we get into the preaching of the word.
1: Father we thank you.
2: We thank you for answering our prayers. We thank you that just as uh, the theme and the hope and the goal of this retreat was to partner together uh enjoy in in the joy of the gospel. Um, thank you that you actually did that in us over this weekend. I pray that as I preach your word, that you would help me um, help me to just make your your word clear to your people, so that they might understand uh, what it is that you're trying to say to them today, that they might hear from you personally, and as a result of that, that they would worship Jesus. So, uh, in his name we pray, amen.
1: Wonderful to hear the little miniature voices of our children singing.
2: I think it's just Aiden mainly. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Uh just like his mom, he's got a loud projecting uh voice. You know, so uh this weekend we've been talking a lot about joy and um it's interesting, uh as we were talking about joy it kind of brought me back to my early days as a as a kid. And one of the happiest moments of my life ever was when I was eight and my uncle surprised me by buying me a N- Nintendo 64 gaming console. came with Mario 64. Um, my mind was blown <laughs> at the time. And uh, my parents could not pry me away from that thing for weeks and weeks. I just glued myself to the screen and I played this thing non-stop. But surely enough, over time, uh, that initial sense of elation, it started to fade. Um, and then, you know, New consoles started coming out. I wanted a PlayStation, but my parents said no. Uh, And soon enough, it just stopped being as good. stopped being as fun. It stopped giving me that same sense of um, elation and happiness. Uh, I thought about that because, like I said, we've been talking a lot about joy this weekend, that joy is not the same thing as happiness, right? It's not just an emotion that comes and goes with circumstances. We've talked about joy as being uh, this, what I would say, abiding gladness. The gladness that remains and abides in the reality that God has saved us in Christ. And that we're in Christ. That we're united to Christ. And over this weekend, um, I've seen this joy just so evident in the way that we've been singing, in the way that uh, we've had conversations with, with, with each other, uh, in our prayers for one another. Uh, it's a joy that really comes from partnering together in the gospel. It's not a solitary joy. Uh, we actually encourage it, each other and help each other to live out the gospel. And So as we wrap up our weekend, like I don't want us to just walk away with good thoughts about joy. Um, I want us to walk away as a church that is marked by this abiding gladness and joy. But how do we do that? How do we encourage each other and help each other to partner in the gospel? And live out this joy. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 because it's a very practical chapter. Paul gives us three very practical exhortations, uh, which I would really like for us to take to heart and put into practice. So, first of all, uh, Paul says to find joy in the Lord and not in what you've done. I'm going to say that again. Paul says to find joy in the Lord and not in what you've done. From From the very start of this passage in verse 1, Look at what it says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Right? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's such a simple but profound reminder. Paul doesn't say, hey, rejoice in what's happening like in your church. Rejoice in you know, Epaphroditus, who suddenly got better from illness, which he just talked about in the preceding verses. Um, he doesn't say, rejoice in the fact that I'm in prison and I'm, I'm, I'm at in pretty good spirits. He says rejoice in the Lord. It's going to mean something. Because if you rejoice in the circumstances of, of life that go up and down, if you rejoice in people, you know, whether it's rejoicing in your friends, maybe your spouse or even your children, sometimes they'll make you feel amazing, sometimes they'll let you down, then you'll be up and down in your joy constantly toying that line between feelings of anxiety and feeling at ease feeling encouraged by situation and feeling discouraged um you know i i know i've definitely wrestled with that for most of my life and i think you guys can relate um, you know i was talking to one of the brothers uh, in our community uh, this past week um, who we just finished HSC and it made me think about the way that i finished my HSC <laughs> Uh, it was one of, you know, it was one of the ha- it was one of the happiest moments of my life, and we were talking about it. We we're catching up about that. You know, you, you dropped the pen. I headed to uh, the bathroom, and I was just I couldn't believe you know what had happened, and that happiness it lasted for a whole month until I got my results. Um, you know, I was thinking about my first job that I that I got after graduating. In this, the sense of accomplishment that comes with that, satisfaction, only to find out in due time that you know, it came with its fair share of stresses, that it could be emotionally draining. Or when I entered into full-time ministry and became a pastor, and you know, thinking that things will be different now, only to find that even in the ministry, you can be so gripped, your joy can be so tied to successes and failures. I found that I could be so shaken in my joy. But Paul says, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And his point is this. If you rejoice in the Lord, you'll find a constant
1: in Jesus. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always on his throne.
2: And if you really, really think about that, in the midst of your life, if you consider that Jesus doesn't change, that He never stops loving us, that He forgives us when we come to Him in repentance, when we fail, you really think about the fact that He forgives all of our sins on the cross. For me, even just thinking about the fact that He, he loves His people, He loves His church, and that He leads His people as the head shepherd. You guys don't know how much just remembering that and rejoicing in that uh, as a pastor has an, it enabled me to find this constant in Jesus. doesn't mean you won't ever feel negative emotions, uh, but it means that you can have an abiding gladness. It means that you can have a joy that cannot be put out by the deepest griefs that you go through in life, the deepest injustices of life. You know, when people we love die, when we experience betrayal and dis- disappointment in our relationships, we suffer unexpectedly and you know, without a reason that we can attribute to. It's an abiding gladness. And, you know, I've, I've loved just singing about this abiding gladness together over this weekend. Um, and when we come together and we sing about these things. I, I don't know if you've realized, we're not singing about what we've done. We're not seeing about ourselves. We're not gathering together as a bunch of people who are confident in what we've done for God. We're seeing about what God has done for us in Christ. And that's what gives us our confidence. That's what causes us to rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord and our joy abides. But secondly, Paul says, not just rejoice in the Lord, but he says, consider everything as lost to know Christ. We say that in verse 4. Um, he does something really interesting from verse 4. He lists all of his accomplishments. And this guy is uh, he's a learned man at the top of his industry. He says, I am a true Hebrew. I'm a, I'm a true Jew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm part of the tribe of Benjamin. And do you want to talk about the law? I, I, I was a Pharisee. I know the law like the back of my hand. And after listing all of that out, Paul says something You know, when you think about your accomplishments, guys, whether they're big or small, um, isn't there a sense of security in those things that we've accomplished, that we've done? Uh, those are things that make us feel very good. I know that's the case for me. Uh, it's natural to look at what you've already done, you know those accolades, those accomplishments, what you've done in the past and then also, to look ahead to the future, uh, to think about what we're capable of, perhaps, uh, and having that as our source of joy. Right? What I can do, what my status is, what I'm capable of. But Paul doesn't say, you know, these accomplishments, the status that I had, what I'm capable of. He doesn't just say that these things are distractions. He doesn't say these things are not as good, right? He says, that these things are a loss.
1: It's so negative. It's a complete bottom.
2: It's zero. These things are a detriment to me. Why does he say that? Well, the answer is right there in verse 8 because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And I don't know about you, but this is such a striking verse because it means that knowing Jesus isn't just something sweet. It's not just something that's good for our maturity. It means that knowing Jesus makes everything else, literally everything else in life, seem like a detriment. Seem like you're going backwards in comparison to knowing Him. This is a really confronting verse for me, and I really hope that it is for many of you too. Because when I read this verse, do you know what happens? I realize how often and how easily i forget the passing worth of knowing jesus i also remember what it was like to know jesus i was reading about um, an evangelist named charles templeton uh, he was prominent in the 1940s um, he partnered with uh, another well-known evangelist named billy graham you might have heard of him probably the most well-known and influential ev- uh, evangelist of the past century uh, but Charles Templeton, he became an agnostic uh, about a decade, decade later in nineteen fifties. He became uh, an agnostic, which means he stopped really caring whether there was a God or not. It just didn't really make, have much of a bearing on his life. Um, as he wrestled with doubts about the Christian faith. And 50 years later, so late 1990s, early 2000s, Charles Templeton is, is now an 80-year-old man. Right, he is in the last few years of his life, and he decides to do an interview about his life. And the interviewer is asking questions about, you know, how did you start here and end up here? How did you come to renounce your Christian faith? And towards the very end, the interviewer asks him a question, well, what do you think about Jesus now? And the interviewer says, as he asks that, Charles Templeton's body language begins to soften. And he begins to speak of Jesus as this great moral teacher. He's you know, ethically the most sound man who ever lived. He's the wisest person who ever lived. He was someone who was so committed to his mission that it led to his own death. And the world turned its back on him. And as he started talking about Jesus, the interviewer was taken aback So He, uh, he asked this man, Charles Templeton well, you've been an agnostic for 50 years, but you sound like you really care about him. And Charles Templeton's voice began to crack.
1: And he began to weep. And he said, I miss him. I miss him.
2: And I think in this moment, he remembered the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Do you know what that is? Have you experienced the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus? Are you still experiencing it now? Or have you forgotten, uh, like I so often do, how immeasurably valuable it is to know Jesus? You know, I was just reflecting on moments in my own life where I've been reminded of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Um, yesterday I was just thinking about various times and seasons um, in which I would just begin to pray, uh, how I'd sense His presence. And he would pour this into my heart, this is love for me and the truth of his word. And I I would learn more about Jesus in those couple of hours than I had in a lifetime of Sunday school or Bible study. I think one of the most profound moments for me of knowing Jesus uh, in my life was um, a moment where I was wrestling with sin and shame. um, And I came to Jesus in prayer. uh, And I just asked to meet him. And he showed me his face. And I saw his face in my mind's eye. And what stood out to me, I've only seen it once in my life, what stood out to me were his eyes. I saw his eyes. Uh, I looked upon his eyes, expecting to see uh, some hint of disappointment. Right? Some hint of, man, how could you be like that? And in them, I saw The clearest, most piercing gaze, he saw all of me, every part of me, all of my sin, all of my mistakes, all of my brokenness, all of my hypocrisy. But what moved me, what struck me was at the same time I saw in his eyes love. I saw in his eyes joy, a gladness
1: that I was there knowing him gladness which was expressed in him dying for me. And I'll never ever be able to forget
2: meeting Jesus in that way. I think it will mark me for the rest of my life.
1: The, the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, that's what's available to us. It's Available
2: for you and for me question is, how can we walk into this as a church? Well, Paul gives us two points of application to end uh, this chapter. Two things. The first is we forget together, and the second is we strain forward together. It's this idea of forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what is ahead, the goal of this upward call in Christ Jesus. So first we forget together. What are we forgetting? Verse 13, Paul says, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. And I want you guys to think about this past year. How has this past year been for you? And maybe even taking it a little bit further back before that, how have the past few years been for you guys? What are the things that we need to forget? What are the things as a church that we
1: need to forget? I think we need to get
2: free of the memory of some of the hard things that we've been through. You know, some of those leadership disappointments and betrayals of trust. Uh, the difficulty of trying to live out your faith uh, in a COVID-impacted world. doesn't mean we literally wipe these things from our memory and pretend that they didn't happen. But it means... We're no longer held captive by those things. It means that we don't keep a record of those who have wronged us. We trust that even out of the very worst things we experience, God can bring about good
1: for His people. That's what the gospel is.
2: I think it also means that we need to forget things that we have done. We need to be free of the things that we have done,
1: those besetting
2: sins in our lives that make us feel a constant shame and a guilt. And I'm not saying Godly shame and godly guilt is a bad thing, but there comes a point where you just stop hearing the grace of the gospel and you hold on to shame and guilt. And we need to forget our sins in light of the cross. Remember that the blood of Jesus hovers over a multitude of sins. And we do that together as a church by being real with each other. I was so blessed and encouraged this weekend, just sharing about our struggles, our failures, and our sins, and pointing each other to the grace of the gospel. That's how we forget together what lies behind. But secondly, we, we strain forward together to what lies ahead. It's not just forgetting the past, but it's moving forward into the future that God has secured for us. The Christian, Christianity is not just um, I work uh, my way towards the start of salvation, like I say the right words and I'm saved. I believe in Jesus, and once I call myself a Christian. God does the rest. I don't have to do anything else. But neither is Christianity. God is the one who began my salvation. But after that, I constantly have to prove that I'm worthy of that salvation until the day I die. Remember, at the beginning of this letter, in chapter 1, Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is the one who begins and completes the work of salvation in the Christian. And that is the basis of our confidence for walking forward with God into the future. And look at what Paul says in verse 12. Why do we strain forward? He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. What does that mean? What does it mean when you hear that?
1: That Christ Jesus has made you His own.
2: It means that you belong to Jesus. It means that when you falter and fall in this walk, and you will,
1: you still belong to Jesus. And you will never, ever fall out of His hands. Brothers and sisters, My heart yearns for us to have this joy.
2: It's abiding gladness in Christ. It's not just for a season in your life when you were converted, right? When you first came to know God. It's an abiding joy. And none none of us can know this joy on our own. I can't know this joy on my own anything, I've realized that even more over this weekend, I need you guys. We all need each other as we forget what lies behind and strain forward to the goal that is the upward call of God. And how transformative for our church would it be? How wonderful and life-changing for our families, our friends, our workplaces, our city, if we were to Walk into this joy together. And I want to ask you to be ambitious for that. I know we have ambitions in different things. Be ambitious for this. Together, for the sake of the gospel, forget what lies behind and strain forward to the goal that is ahead of this upward call of God in Jesus. Let's pray.
1: Father, we thank you for uh, your grace over this whole weekend. I just can't explain um, how we came together to
2: be like this. And as we kind of wind things down, I'm just filled with an inexplicable, inexplicable, unexplainable uh, joy that comes from partnering together in the gospel with your people. And Lord, I just ask that you'd help us to grab a hold of this joy and walk into it together. As this year winds down, remind us by the conviction of your Holy Spirit more than ever that, that this joy is available, it's a binding, and help us as a church be marked
1: by this kind of joy. Thank you, Praise Jesus.